My name is Captain Ozzy with Marker 23 Guide Service, and you're listening to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast. Today I'm going to do something a little different called Ozzy's Outlook. This is a new segment where I will cover common questions that we get here at Eastern Current, as well as cover some of the hot topics regarding our fishery here on the Eastern North Carolina coast. As always, I appreciate y'all listening, and I hope you enjoy. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. What's going on, everybody? Uh, my name's Captain Ozzy with Marker 23 Guide Service, as you heard in the intro. And uh, this is the first segment like this that uh, I've done. Uh, it's going to be called Ozzy's Outlook. And basically, there won't be a guest. It'll just be me answering popular questions and uh, most asked questions and uh, going over a few topics and, and hot takes and, and things in our fishery and so on and so forth. So, um, jumping right into it, um, well, before, before we get into the topics and questions, um, these are my opinions and the way I operate and the way I view things. If you don't agree with them, I would love to have a conversation and, and hear a different side of things. You, you're welcome to reach out to me. I'll put some, uh, contact info in the show notes uh, also, you can find me on Marker Twenty Three Guide Service at uh, on Instagram. So shoot me a DM if you have any questions you want answered on the podcast or anything of that nature, topic, so on and so forth. Uh, just reach out and um, we'll we'll get them covered. But uh, getting into it, the number one question I get as a, a fishing guide here on North Carolina's coast is how long I've been doing it. So I am grinding out my third season as it is right now. It's uh, 2023, so um, working on my third season, got my start a little bit before COVID and really jumped into it right around 2020, um, so that's how long I've been doing it. I'm a North Carolina native and jumped around a little bit inside of North Carolina and landed in Holly Ridge. That's where I call home, um, now based out of like Sneeds Ferry area, if you know anything about the area. Um, the only people that know the difference between Sneeds Ferry and Holly Ridge are the locals and people who live there. So that's, uh, that's how long I've been doing it, kind of where I'm from. Um, got into tournament fishing first and guiding later. But, uh, yeah, knocking out question number one, I've been I'm working on my third season, 
and do this full time? That's another big question that we get. To, is this the only thing I do? And it is. Um, we have 12 months of fishing here on the North Carolina coast. And uh, that is one thing I love about our fishery is you can do it 12 months out of the year. There's something new happening, you know, every two to three months, whether that means flood tides and tails or crystal clear water and schooled up redfish to a hot trout bite in the fall, uh, sheep's head, black drum, ladyfish, anybody that's listened to this podcast or followed me on social media knows, excuse me, that I'm a big fan of uh, underrated fish, the underdog fish. Um, I, I like ladyfish. I like black drum. I like um, all kinds of different stuff that is not your redfish, trout, and flounder. Although I love those three things, especially a trout, which we'll cover in a, a different question later down the road. Um, big fan of the underdog fish. There's a lot out there that provide great fights uh, that just kind of falls to the wayside or almost a backup plan. Uh, guilty of that as well. <laughs> There's there's been a couple days where I was thankful to see a school of ladyfish busted on top or um, have to have a bridge to go tie to and drop shrimp to the bottom, <laughs> but um, yeah, the, to get back reeling it back into where we were, we do have a pretty pretty cool fishery. Um, I am able to do this full time twelve months out of the year, and um, it's it's ever changing um, from just a variety of different things. Even if you were just one species, every species does something a little different throughout the year. So a lot of fun. Um, and we're, we're, we're definitely blessed to be able to do it this long. Um, another question I get regarding our fishery and, and just like we were talking about, there's different things to do throughout the whole year. Um, but a very common question I get is, uh, the best time to go fishing. And that's a really quick answer for me. The best time to go fishing is probably like mid-October to January and really highlighting November and December. Um, I like those months the best. I like the uh, fall trout fishing. I like when our water gets really clean. And um, the reason our water gets clean is because our, our water in the wintertime, because of the temperature, carries more oxygen and less nutrients. So it it just the outcome of that, and there's a lot of science behind you know big words and science behind that, but because of the oxygen um, and nutrients, it becomes cleaner. So crystal clear water and our redfish school up, so you can school see schools of anywhere from twenty to two hundred uh, and tight school shoulder to shoulder schools. Um, and that's just that's a lot of fun in the fly world, your cast. Don't have to be quite as accurate as the summertime, but you definitely need that distance. You need that, you know, an average of forty foot and a fifty foot if if you can. Um, and then for the spin guy, um, you're able to just the visual aspect, whether you're throwing fly or not. The visual aspect of what's going on is really cool in the in those months. Um, outside of that, we have a lot of cool things happen. With our trout, we have a really good trout fishery in North Carolina, um, and that's true everywhere from the northern border to the southern border. But especially where I'm located in Sneeds Ferry, we got the new river system uh, right here in our backyard, just above us. We have the Noose River system, and right below us, we have the Cape Fear River system. And if you'll notice, when I'm talking about big trout, I'm always talking about these river systems. Um, North Carolina is also lucky because we have all these river systems. 
uh, with pretty close to each other, um, you see a lot of big trout caught out of coastal rivers. And that's because as a trout gets older, they have this organism in their body that takes the salinity and the salt water that they need and then does with it what their body needs or like what kind of how we use carbs or we use fats and proteins. They have the same organism that takes the salt and does with it what it needs. And as they get older, that organism gets weaker. So these big trout are not able to stay in high salinity areas for as long and they can travel through and they can migrate just like any other trout, but they're not going to call high salinity areas home. Um, and that's why you see rivers up and down the coast where trout can be found. The big ones are being caught in these um, coastal river areas, Indian River, Noose, Cape Fear, New River, so on and so forth. So we're lucky in the fact that in the fall and in the winter, these big trout call our coastal rivers home. And uh, that's another reason I would say that is my favorite time of year to fish because what the trout do and what the big trout are able to do and, um, of course, the redfish. Um, and those are the two fish that you know, keep me going and, and keep me out there. As much as I love an underdog fish, still love those two fish a lot. Um, and the, <laughs> the third or fourth question, it's a pretty funny one. It at least cracks me up. Uh, is <laughs> Where are the fish? And um, I could probably produce a very popular podcast if I, if I just got on here and started spot burning and telling you where the fish are. Uh, but honestly, that wouldn't even it wouldn't even be as potent as it seems because just because I tell you um, right here, there's so much more that goes into it as where, when, tide, da 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 da, and we'll cover a lot of that in uh, some later questions, but. As far as where the fish are, the way I'm going to answer this question is I'm going to tell you how I find fish. Um, and I do this when I travel to new areas, when I travel to guide in different areas, and I apply this in finding new fish in my own backyard in Sneeds Ferry, North Topsail area. Um, so, and I, I probably mentioned this before on um, a previous podcast, but what I like to do is uh, take the temperature that, that is a big, big factor for me. Water temp tells me where at in the process these fish are, if that makes sense. So it, viewing the 12 months out of the year is a process. Um, I know that if we're in the 90s, then we're about what depth I need to be at. And I know that if we're in the 40s, about what depth I need to be looking. So with that being said, um, the short skinny of it would be water temp tells me the depth. It tells me the behavior. It tells me a lot about what these fish are thinking or what I think they're thinking. Um, but water temp is, is major for me. So I know that in the summertime they're, they're getting shallow, especially in the, in the uh, morning and evening. And then they might have to drop off to a little deeper, say three foot um, just to keep cool. And then likewise in the wintertime, when you're seeing those 40 degree water temps, they're going to be chilling in the deep holes most of the time, and they're going to take the hot part of the day to come shallow and feed. So um, I think once you get into an area and you start finding fish, it's important to to record or at least notate, okay, the water temp was this, and it has been for the past three weeks, and this is what the fish are doing. 
because whatever they are doing, sitting in deep holes, sitting on flat, sitting on whatever they're sitting on, um, you can probably replicate it at that same water temp again next year. Or a lot of times you'll see fall and spring. Uh, there's a lot of similarities in fall and spring. Uh, obviously, there's not the same migrations of fish. They're definitely not going the same direction. But in water depth, you can start really eliminating some water knowing what your temperature is. So I'm big on water temp. Another big thing I'm, I like to watch, of course, is uh, the what bait is coming in and out. Look, look at the big picture. Zoom out a little bit and look at the big picture of what's going on. Is there a mullet run coming up from the south? Is there a shrimp you know, coming in the inlets hot and heavy? Um, once you know what they're feeding on, you know what to throw. So not only have you eliminated a ton of water because you know what areas you're looking for based on your temperature, you now know what to throw. So when you get a big shrimp push in August or you get a big mullet run or whatever the case is, you know that you need to you know replicate that in some way, shape, or form. If you're only seeing little fry and little baits and little grass shrimp, and that's the only thing your fish are feeding on, I wouldn't throw a four-inch bait right now. Um, I know this is contradicting to head hunting big fish um and i could i could see that argument being made and i get down with that but when you're going out to catch fish you want to probably throw um something that matches the hatch somewhat and uh, we could get into color and that's that's a long conversation for water clarity and, and the sky and this and that but for the most part, I'm going to be looking, when I show up to a new fisher, I'm going to be looking what's around me. Do I see shrimp? Do I see shad? Do I see finger mullet? Do I see pogies? Um, and then I will I'll work off that. I have been in fisheries before where I'm throwing confidence baits and getting denial and denial and denial. And in this particular instance I'm talking about, it was, they were keyed in on pogies so much that the only thing they would hit was a, like a 17 mirror lure or some kind of fly that looked similar to it, like it had to look like a pogey, or you were getting absolutely no love, no shrimp, no paddle tail, no, I mean, I know there's some paddle tails that look like pogies out there, but it had to imitate a menhaden. So um, real big on what they're eating. Once you can start eliminating areas um, based on depth and temp, then you can start focusing on what they're eating and uh, really start to be productive from there. Uh, another thing I'm doing when I'm trying to find fish is I'm fishing fast. I'm either pulling really fast or I have that trolling motor fast. I know if I spook a fish, I didn't catch him, but I know he was there. And um, I'm not trying to spook fish by any means, but I do want to fish fast. I might be putting um, 10 casts to a 100-yard bank. And um, once I start to either catch or spook, then I'm going to start slowing down. I'm going to go fast until I'm given a reason to slow down, and then I can start replicating that. Like, okay, he was doing this in this depth. Da, 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 he, he ate this or ate that. Or Once you have one or two or three fish under your belt, you can start to zoom out and go look at different areas and, and replicate that. Well, this over here looks like that. That over there looks like that. And you really only start to make those decisions based off of um, time on the water like you, you your rolodex of spots that look like what you just caught a fish on becomes larger and larger and larger and you're really able to start being productive when when you um you have time on the water obviously and you you, you can start replicating so um those are probably three major points that help me find fish whether it be new fish in my backyard or new areas in general 
And um, I think, I mean, I think that's a, the three major points. Uh, big on the fishing log. Keep a fishing log. Um, it may not be the same exact thing next summer, but it that trend will come back around in two years, three years, four years. But you'll be able to look back and, and before every summer, before every winter, I'll look back on notes that I have um, in my fishing logs and stuff and be like, okay, well, in 2019, this is what the fish were doing. Just kind of refreshing my memory, and this is the spots I was going to, and this is what I was throwing. And and then all of a sudden, this winter starts to shape up like that 2019 winter. I'm like, okay, well, I'm ahead of the curve now. I, I know when the fish do this or the weather does that, this is what I did, and it was successful. Or vice versa, I know that I did X, Y, Z, and it was unsuccessful. So I wouldn't do that again. Well, last time the fronts blew like this and the wind did that, I didn't catch fish when I did this. So I'm not going to do that again. So really just trial and error. I mean, just go out there and mess it up until you get it right. Um, That's what I like to tell people. Somebody just commented recently, um, I I loaded the boat up on the trailer or something, and they have having trailer problems. They're like, well, you've done that before. And I was like, well, I'll be honest with you. I've messed it up every way. You can think about messing it up, and that's how I know where to hit my trailer and how far to back my trailer in. And finding fish is no different, really. I mean, I've gone out there, whether it was in the learning time frame or if it was in the last two years, and I've messed up. And, I, you know, just not being afraid of failure and going out there and, and you know, get skunked or, or go look at something new that doesn't make sense. And eventually if you, if you just keep going out there and doing it, you're, you're going to find fish and you're, you're going to be able to start chiseling away at that, that thought process of, okay, that happened, this happened. And it'll be totally different than what anybody else might think, but it'll be yours and, and you'll be able to start um, being successful based on that. So, and that's not even if you're a beginner, I, I, I try to remind myself of that all the time because it's so easy to get into a rut of well, this works. This is what I'm doing. Uh, this lure works. That's what I'm going to do. And I won't bat an eye at a new lure or a new fly or uh, a new way of fishing even sometimes. But if you can kind of bust out of that and, and broaden your horizon and start weeding through what works and what doesn't work, you can be really, really effective. And preaching to the choir more than I am speaking to you guys about that. Like I said, I, I can get in ruts, something serious. So, uh, pretty long-winded answer for that question, but I think that pretty much summarizes it on where are the fish. Um, that's how I like to find fish. That's that's what I found success in. But kind of um, real similar to that question plays into that pretty heavily. Um, another question I got is, what is the best tide to go fishing? And um, that's a tricky question because just like when you start finding fish, you'll be riding down. I've caught them on a falling tide, a, a 1.6 tide or whatever the case is. I think every group of fish or every fish individually do something different on every tide. Uh, with that being said, this is true for rivers. This is true for marsh. This is true throughout all fisheries that are tidal. Um, a, a fish or a group of fish do something different every tide. So say I'm going out, I drop my boat in the morning and it's a rising tide. Immediately I'm going to go to X number of spots that I like on a rising tide. These are my rising tide spots. When it's coming up, 
the water's moving around this point, that point, this oyster bar, that oyster bar. The fish like to sit here and there and so on and so forth. And that's where I want to be at a rising tide. And then when it's dead low, I know that there's pockets here and deep holes there and um, a nice flat with a good depth on it at low tide. So I'm going to go pull that at low tide or fish that at low tide. And then likewise, high tide, I know high tide's going to allow access to certain areas that these fish did not have at low tide. So uh, to say there's a best tide, it would be kind of tough. Um, I have my preferences of what I like to do. Like I love a tailing redfish in the grass and I love a belly crawling low tide fish. So to say there's a best tide is a total preference. How do you like to catch them is what that would boil down to. Cause you can catch them from high tide to low tide back to high. Um, every spot and every fish is going to do something different. Um, but if you can find a group of fish that do something on a high and then a rising and the low and then a falling, then you can stick with them. As long as your boat will allow you to, you can stick with that group of fish and uh, be super, super efficient at following that group of fish around no matter what time you drop your boat. Uh, of course, those fish will do something different throughout the seasons, but all in all, and when it comes to tides, it's different for every spot. It's different for every um, you know, group of fish, so on and so forth. Um, a general rule of thumb is when, when I'm when I'm in a new area, brand new area, I'm going to look at low tide. What do they have access to that they didn't have access to at high tide? Meaning, what's changed? What can they do now? What are they limited to now? Or what can they do now that they couldn't do at the last tide cycle? That might mean that they are limited to a deep hole. They can't go anywhere else. There's no water. And then it gets high, and now they have access to grass, shrimp, and crabs. They didn't have that at low tide. They were stuck in a hole. So that's a little rule of thumb. I'm looking at what the differences are and how that's going to affect the fish um, throughout every spot and, and every tide. So that's, I guess, my, my – I almost said my excuse. Not an excuse for not having an answer. Like, I like a falling tide. But that's that's my answer for a tide. I can't pick a, my favorite. I'd that do something different at every tide. So that would that would be pretty much um, nail that one down. Uh, and then another fairly common question I have is uh, favorite bait, lure, and fly. So that pretty much covers all three types of fishing I do inshore. Um, I do fly fish. I do fish artificials, and I do bait fish. Um, I I and proud to admit I do carry a cast net on my flats boat. I very well may pull flats all day. I very well may catch some shrimp and, and sit on a bridge. So um the short and skinny though, um far as bait, leading off with bait, my favorite bait to throw would probably be a live shrimp, although a live shrimp can be a little annoying in the summertime. There's so many pinfish around. But it'll get the job done. Shrimp is at the bottom of the food chain. And whatever you're fishing for will probably hit a shrimp. So I would say shrimp would be my favorite live bait. I love a finger mullet, though. Uh, I know there's some controversy among the uh, striped mullet population. But um, that's a pretty close second. Excuse me. And there's a probably two months out of the year 
uh, maybe three, where I really like a Menhaden. I will throw cut Menhaden until the cows come home. But um, overall, uh, a live shrimp, and then putting it whatever water column that the fish you're targeting are in, whether that means floating it or sinking it or or, or live line it, whatever you're doing, uh, live shrimp inshore is, is probably the end-all, be-all for me. And then my favorite artificial no-brainer would be a four-inch sculpt shrimp. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it would be a four-inch sculpt shrimp. That's such a good lure. But Z-Man, however, has come out with their, a couple years back with that Procure. Um, they've already got like Procure-infused paddle tails. Because if we're being honest, a gulp shrimp looks like a cat turd in the water. I mean, there's no action. So <laughs> it just, it's something about the smell or color or, or whatever. It, it gets the job done. It catches a ton of fish. But I will say Z-Man is, is in high competition with them, in my opinion, with this Procure-infused uh, paddle tails and jerk shads because I love a jerk shad. When I'm sight fishing, a jerk shad is definitely a go-to, whether it's a uh, smoky shad or um, oh, whatever their uh, root beer color is, like a brown with some like different golden flakes in it. Um, and then as far as the shrimp color is concerned, the gulp shrimp, I'll just rock a white in almost any water clarity. I'm probably going to throw a white gulp shrimp. Um, those are my two favorite baits. Uh, but you can't have this conversation without mentioning a top water. And a, a pink skitter walk is probably in the last year and a half become my favorite. If you'd asked me earlier on, I would have said it was a uh, one knocker spook or a spook junior. But uh, I got my butt kicked on a pink skitter walk more than once. I was like, you know what? I got to see what this thing's all about. And a pink skitter walk catches a bunch of fish. So, uh, but a top water. Any kind of walk the dog style top water lure would have to be in that conversation. So, those are probably my three favorite artificials. If I, if I had to pick three, you know, that would be it. If I had to pick one, I would need a lot more time to make my decision. <laughs> but, um, and then moving to flies. Um, my favorite fly would have to be, I want to say clouser, because you can do so much with it, but I, I really don't think it would be a clouser. I, I mean, I think it would have to be, if I had to fish one for the rest of my life, it would be a gurgler, because I would prefer to watch me to gurgler. But if I had to choose the most efficient one, it would be a quan, I think. Um, any type of, you know, dumbbell eyes, craft fur tail, some kind of bushy collar in between, and probably some silly legs on it. Uh, I would fish this. I, I, I don't even know what the name of this one I'm thinking about is, but it's like, it's got some purple and some flash and like kind of a white underbody. It's, it's a darker fly, even though it's got this like whiter underbody, but, uh, that would be my, my go-to some kind of purple, um, purple or purple and black i read a statistic a while back and i probably mentioned it on the podcast but i can't remember but um that purple and black in the world of igfa records uh fly fishing records purple and black is has caught more world records than any other color scheme so and then that is not something that i found on my own i, I picked that up from someone else who who Probably did the data, so not not claiming that as my own, but nonetheless, was some pretty interesting 
data to have. But, um, yeah, it would be some kind of purple fly, some kind of quan pattern. Um, but, like I said, if it had to be preference and not efficiency, it would be a gurgler or a popper or something topwater. I'm a big topwater junkie, so definitely go with, with that. But uh, pull up my next question. I think that covers that one. Next question. Oh, I like this question. Um what is my favorite fish? And it's not as simple as a species. Well, not really. My favorite species is trout, no doubt, speckled trout. But my favorite way of fishing is the way we fish for redfish year in and year out. Um, there's times in the year, I don't know, on a good year you might get four months sporadically throughout the year of sight fishing in shallow water for speckled trout. Um, and I'll get into that on another episode one day. But my favorite way to do it is sight fishing with a fly rod. My favorite species is a trout. Unfortunately, that doesn't line up uh, readily. Like You're not going to get 12 months of fly fishing for speckled trout in shallow, clean water. So... I mean, that would be my answer, but to split it up a little differently, my my favorite way to fish is sight fishing with a fly rod. The way we do that in North Carolina, nine times out of ten is going to be for a redfish. They tail, they crawl, they swim shallow. Um, they're notorious for being dumb shallow. So I spend a lot of my time, my free time, my fun fishing time, throwing flies at redfish. But... Um, favorite species I am enamored with a speckled trout and I think they're they're superior game fish in North Carolina um, and debatably all the way down the coast um, so they I mean they they shake their heads they I wouldn't say they jump although some little trout will jump um, I mean I'm sure there's somebody out there with a story of a big trout jump but no, they don't jump, and I'm, that is a missing piece of the puzzle for me. I love a fish that jumps, but, I mean, the way they eat, as picky as they are, as hard as they can be to feed, and how hard they are to keep on the hook um, make them my my favorite fish. I was actually dumb enough to tattoo one to my body <laughs> when I was younger. So, yeah, um, I'm probably obligated to say speckled trout at this point. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, trout was my first love. It was the, the first big fish that I caught was a speckled trout. So, it, it and I knew from then on. I was like, well, yep, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. Say hello to my identity for the next 15 years. But, um, yeah, let me see if there's any more questions. I don't think there's any more. No, but for now, that is all the questions I got. But uh, like I said, if there's anything that you'd like to ask me or anybody else at Eastern Current, um, feel free to reach out. We'll put some contact info in the show notes or reach out to me on Instagram, marker23guideservice. Just shoot me a DM, and uh, we can talk about um, any questions you got or if you got any topics you want to you know, have discussed on here, then we can knock those out as well. And by all means, if I said something you don't agree with, please reach out. I would love to have a conversation with you. But um, like always, guys, I appreciate you tuning in, and we're going to catch you next time. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. 
That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Made out of South Carolina. Carolina First Made is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.